Hello and welcome to Lit, a podcast for combating burnout. I'm your host, Kate Newberg, and this is episode 11, and it's called Manufacturing Burnout. Now, up until this point, for the past couple months, I've been recording these podcasts, and I've been hinting at this idea that burnout has its roots in the systems that we live within and that we live by. And I'm going to address that a little bit in this episode. I think it's finally time. Um, But I want to talk just a little bit about my rationale for starting with the personal and with the individual. And it comes from, again, um, someone I mention a lot on this podcast is Parker Palmer. Um, But he has this really beautiful observation that Every movement for social change has been started by people who did this inner work first. And in some cases, it was the only power they really had. If you think about larger um, movements of people who've been marginalized, even just in our country, um, not to mention worldwide and throughout history, um, but if you think about the GLBT Q plus movement and the women's movement and um, the black movement for civil rights. It's, it's been started by people who they started with this inner work and they found that sense of self-worth and a real understanding that the way the world was ordered was not in alignment with, with their deep sense of self-worth. And it was, and it started there and then, from there, it spilled outwards into the world of form, um, into a manifestation. And and Parker Palmer says that what makes revolutionaries, what makes revolutionaries, is their ability to take the inner life seriously. And so, one of the reasons that it's taken me a few months to really jump into this idea of the um, this, this systemic approach to burnout is that um, I think it needs to start in, in the inner life. And so I started with a lot of tools for examining and reflecting on the inner life, and I will continue to do so. Um, but I think it's time to talk a little bit about systems. And uh, one of the things that sparked this was um, I was actually had the privilege of recording with Howard Tybell, who works with a lot of um, higher ed, and um, he he has a podcast. So I I'll be sure to have that link on my website. It should be coming out next week. So this is a bit of a preview or a spoiler alert about what's happening on that podcast. Uh, but that should be coming out I think next Tuesday, and I'll link it to my website. My website is www.deeppractices.com, and I go much more in depth in this idea of systems. But it got me thinking. Um, you know, I think it's time to start talking about it. So I want to lead off by reading a few statistics that I've hinted at also throughout, um, you know, these past couple months of reporting podcasts, but I want to put them out there really clearly and all at once. So this is, these are from a Gallup poll taken in 2016. Um, and we have no 
real evidence to think that it's gotten very much better in just the past couple of years. In fact, it's probably gotten worse, although I don't have statistics to back up that. But my 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 feeling is that these statistics are are um, are only getting worse right now. Um, but they're pretty bad as they are. So uh, according to this 2016 Gallup poll, 66% of employees report being burned out nationwide. So that's two thirds and of people. And if you think about it in like a really, it, it didn't hit me as viscerally until, until I started think about, thinking about it in, I can't talk today, um, until I started thinking about it in practical terms. And when you think about it in practical terms, what that means is that every two out of three people you see on average, you can bet that those, that they're burned out. So if you're just in the grocery store or you're going to the post office or you're going about your daily life or you see cars driving by, you, you can, you can conclude that on average, every two out of three people you see are feeling burned out. And when you think about it that way, um, when I started thinking about it that way, it hit me really viscerally. Like, wow, this is a really big problem. Um, and then when we talk about some of the, the health issues around burnout, um, a lot of what burnout is, is it, it results from chronic stress and chronic feelings of overwhelm. And if you are burned out, you are 63% more likely to take a sick day. So whether that means you're actually getting sick more often than other people, which I would, I would believe given the physical toll that stress takes, um, or the fact that you just you're more likely to just not want to go into work, so you you'll feel less resilient um, in general. Or it just it's just a big statistic that if you're burned out, um, you're not going to be feeling as well, and you're not going to be at work as often, um, which makes sense. One that really got me was that people who are burned out are 23% more likely to visit the emergency room. Um, I haven't dug underneath that statistic to see exactly what it means, but just on the face of it, it's pretty scary to think that um, the condition of burnout is going to result in something as traumatic as visiting the emergency room um, for more than one fifth of the people who are experiencing it. So that's, that's pretty crazy. And then, um, the other statistic that I thought was interesting is that uh, people who are burned out are 2.6 times more likely to leave their current employer. And I'll talk a little bit about um, what I see as kind of the futility of that um, in some ways um, later on in this episode. But uh, but that makes sense, right? If you're really unhappy at work, then you're probably going to be spending time and, and it's not just that you're leaving your employer. What that means is that you're actually spending a lot of time probably researching jobs, writing cover letters, going to interviews, right? You're doing all these things, whether it's um, whether you're doing it at work or outside of work, but you're spending a lot of time on trying to get out of the situation that you're in now. And so um, from a sheer like practical level, right, it makes sense. And there's a lot of other statistics that show that it really makes sense to keep your employees happy. And I'll go into that more. But um, from a sheer practical like time level, right, if if you're leading people and they're spending a lot of time either within work or outside of work trying to find somewhere else to go, you know, they've got one foot out the door. So not only are they spending time doing that, but they're probably going to be less likely to 
feel empowered or take ownership within the business or the organization. So, um, so those are some statistics that I thought were really interesting. And um, the other, the th- the reason I led off with statistics is um, I'm a curriculum person by um, training. I'm a systems thinker. And um, one of the things that's been really illuminating for me is thinking about um, the outcomes of systems without attaching any sort of uh, morality to it. Um, So taking a step back and just saying, what are the outcomes of of the systems that we have in place? Um, And instead of labeling them as a problem, labeling them as an outcome um, and then if we don't like the outcomes, then the, the obvious, what seems like the obvious next step is to look at the system itself. But what I find what happens, so something like 66% of employees reporting being burned out, right? And that being a consistent statistic or other consistent statistics that, um, that exist in our world are, you know, between 40 and 60% of our, um, of our high school kids drop out of school. Or uh, if we're talking education, on average, we lose 450,000 teachers every year. They leave the profession. And these are consistent things that are happening, right? And the way I was trained in curriculum, in systems, the response to that should be, this is too consistent to be an accident, there's something in the system that is manufacturing these outcomes. These are not outliers. These are actual outcomes of the system. And what I find, and I think what maybe what we all find, is that oftentimes our first response or leadership's first response to to statistics like this is to somehow blame the people who are suffering and to somehow make this burnout thing into a personal problem. And so on one level, yes, we need to be doing the inner work. We need to be figuring out what matters to us. Um, We need to be diving into our fears, but on another level, we also need to be aware that we're within systems that are manufacturing a lot of this stuff for us. Um, when When I was researching teaching, one of the questions that kept coming up, and it was, I believe, kind of a moral question when I was looking into, you know, what types of supports do teachers need to not burn out and not leave the profession is, um, a big question was, well, are we just conditioning them to work in untenable conditions? And I still think that's a big moral question that, um, that we need to think about. I, I just, I was just listening to the book switch, um, the audio book, the audio version of it. And if you guys haven't heard of it, uh, switch is an, is an incredible book by Dan and Chip Heath. Um, and it talks about large scale transformation, but there's this one study that I thought that kind of stuck with me that I'm still wrestling with the the morality of it. And it was a study about nurses um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the nurses were experiencing high levels of turnover or the hospital was experiencing high levels of turnover and their nurses up to 30% every year. And this, if you, you know, if you follow 
um, any sort of helping profession, this is pretty par for the course, right? On helping professions, there's a lot of turnover in them. Um, a fascinating subject in and of itself that I'll go into more at another time. But um, but the hospital's solution to this turnover, what it sounded like, was they focused on the 70% that's, that were staying, the 70% of nurses that were retaining, you know, year to year. And they did some in-depth focus groups to figure out, well, what is it that's keeping you here? And what they found was that it was a deep-seated loyalty to the profession of nursing itself. And it was a deep-seated um, belief that what they were doing was making a difference. And so what the hospital did in response was kind of amp up, almost kind of amp up their PR around it. Like it seemed like they, they changed orientation. They changed the ways that they were um, approaching it. And it sounded like instead of really shifting the system, they just kind of entrenched this idea of nursing more in their employees identity. Um, and I'm still wrestling with this because um, on one hand you could say, oh, well, they solved the problem because uh, um, attrition went down after they started doing this. But that comes back to my moral question of, well, were they just convincing people to continue giving of themselves in untenable conditions? If they didn't actually shift the conditions and mostly they just shifted the way that the nurses felt about it. And so in general, my instinct is to say that if we're going to root something more, more and more deeply in identity, I'm distrustful of it um, because I, I, um, with a lot of the work I've done around consciousness, I believe that um, identity is actually kind of a trap. But um, regardless, where was I going with this? I, I have some notes today. I have fewer notes than, than normal. I'm talking about systems. So, um, so where where I was going with this is this idea that um, that that outcomes are built into systems, consistent outcomes are built into systems. If we're having consistent outcomes that we don't like, then if we want to sustainably address those conditions, then we need to look at the system and we need to shift or fully transform the system itself. Um, and I realize that I'm talking in some ways on like a very high level, like I'm, I'm like a 50,000 foot view right now, or um, like a 100,000 foot view, like I'm pretty far up. Um, but this is just, this is how I'm introducing this concept, right? The premise of, the premise of what I'm talking about is that um, when I, when I talk about systems, I'm talking about the structures that are in place, the ways that we do things. And in my research, I found that um, when I did a, a, just a deep dive into kind of the emotions surrounding high burnout types of jobs, and I looked specifically at the first year of teaching, which I, I believe very strongly that the seeds of burnout are planted in that first year. Um, what I found were intense feelings of guilt 
teachers never felt like they were doing enough. They always felt like they could do more. Um, they felt like a lot of them felt like sometimes they were the only person who in their students' lives who could really make a difference. And if they weren't doing everything they could, then they were failing their students. These intense feelings of guilt around not doing enough around and, and feelings of guilt around self-care. So I remember um, talking to one teacher and he was talking about how on a Saturday night, he's like, he's like, I'm at this hinge point, you know, between Friday and Monday, I'm the farthest away I'll ever be from my students. And I'm playing like shuffleboard in a bar or something. And he was like, and I just couldn't get him out of my head. I just couldn't get him out of my head. And so this, these feelings of guilt around even taking time for yourself, um, this inability to be present in what you're doing because you're totally consumed by these feelings of, of guilt and remorse and worry. Uh, th that was a, those were some big things that came up in my research around burnout. Um, feelings of isolation. Like one of the things that I think is so, so powerful about these statistics is that it shows that not only are you not alone, but this really isn't your fault. Um, like in, the reason this podcast episode is called manufacturing burnout is that that is what's happening in our systems. We are manufacturing this. So if you're feeling burned out, you are not alone. In fact, you're probably pretty sane. It means you're, it means you're responding like in a normal way to these untenable working conditions that you're in. So, um, but regardless, it seemed like, a lot of these teachers were feeling very isolated in these feelings. Like they shouldn't somehow they shouldn't be feeling them. Like they didn't have a right to those feelings of guilt or worry or overwhelm. Um, overwhelm was a big, was another big one. Like I just mentioned, it's um, that they just felt like they did not have enough time ever. So this scarcity mindset around time um, that just kept them going and going and going and going on the hamster wheel at all times. Uh, that feel that intense feeling of overwhelm. That was another one. And then um, conditions, other conditions that contributed to it was um, those are some of the emotions, but some of the things they perceived in their working environment were things like favoritism. They noticed it seemed like there were kind of in groups and out groups, especially around leadership. Um, and I experienced that too. I've experienced that as well. In, in working conditions where it seems like for really arbitrary reasons, people are favored over others. Um, and I remember this one participant kept talking about how uh, she said, my administration, all they ever talk about is data, 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 data. They just want student test scores to come up. She's like, my data is good. Like my student test scores are good in comparison, but it doesn't, but for some reason it seems like the, they don't take my voice seriously but they take these other people's voices seriously um, whose data aren't as good. And so I don't understand. She's like, I don't understand if it's all about data, then why is this, why does it seem like this favoritism is happening on this arbitrary or personal levels? Like, why don't I have more of a voice? Um, and so just that inconsistency and that favoritism was really confusing and disorienting. And then also um, just being micromanaged was another one feeling very little autonomy. Um, so a lot of these things contribute to these overwhelming feelings of burnout. And, um, and the, one of the biggest points I, that I want to keep coming back to in this episode is that that is not your fault. If you're feeling burned out, 
first of all, you're in really good company. Um, and secondly, you're, you're not some sort of anomaly. This isn't some sort of personal problem, right? That you need to solve. This is something that is happening on a much, much larger scale than you. And, um, my first piece of advice, if you're feeling burned out, which I've, I've brought up before, is just to listen and accept that. Listen to that feeling of burnout instead of resisting it, instead of trying to tell yourself that you're weak or not resilient or that you're somehow not good enough. Listen to that feeling of burnout and think, huh, what is this telling me about my life situation? What is this trying to say to me about um, the way that I'm living my life or the way that I'm working right now. Um, and accept it, accept it as, as an, as something natural and, 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 um, maybe even prophetic, um, prophetic P R O P H E T I C. <laughs> not, I, I realize if I mumbled that it would sound, it would sound like I said the word pathetic and that's, that's not at all. I'm saying prophetic that it's powerful and prophetic if you're feeling this way. Um, and, you know, trusting that the systemic change won't come about until a lot of us start doing this inner work. Um, but a lot of what I'm, what I'm pulling out are actual ways that we can begin to shift the systems. And, um, this is just kind of a preview about where I'll be going with this, but, um, essentially if you look at the kinds of organizations that create inspiring and trust-based work environments. A lot of them have made a really courageous leap from shifting to be outcomes, fully outcomes-oriented to being values-oriented. And, and what I mean by that is not that they're it's not that they that they're just not being productive. It's not that they're it's not that they're not working. It's not that they're not achieving outcomes. It's that the outcome itself is almost a byproduct of the way they do the way they do their daily life. And there's a couple points I want to make about this. I'm actually um talk about burying the lead. I'm actually writing a book about this. <laughs> um, and I'm writing a book proposal right now. So if any of you guys out there, um, are agents or editors or know of any who would be interested in this, let me know. Um, because it's, it's something I'm really excited about, but, um, but a few things about these types of organizations that are values oriented is, um, they, value the humanity and the trust of their employees to the point where if anything gets in the way of that, it's seen as toxic and it's seen as not worth, not worth entertaining in the environment. And what ends up happening is that the productivity actually goes up and the outcomes actually the outcomes that, that they, if they myopically focused on those and drilled those um, by just kind of taking a step back and saying, we're going to, we're going to actually orient around values. People are more inspired to create the outcomes. 
that they were originally feeling overwhelmed about or micromanaged about. It creates space around them to be able to breathe and think creatively and rededicate themselves to this, this larger purpose. Um, just very quickly, I think one of the, very quickly, one of the things that people immediately jump to when I talk about these things is this idea that it's somehow anarchy, either it's anarchy or it's like people sitting around like holding hands in circles or something. Um, and I, I want to be really clear that the, the types of companies that transition from being outcomes oriented to values oriented, it's not that they remove structures. It's that they put in place a new set of structures that they operate within. And um, that eventually within the structures that they'll internalize the structures to the point where maybe they aren't quite as important, but in the beginning there's lots and lots and lots and lots of structure because what we're doing is asking people to kind of operate in a really different way around these values. Um, and so it's kind of, I think a lot about there, it's kind of like training wheels. So like training wheels are great for the first three weeks, maybe that you're riding a bike but after a while, they, they kind of they hinder your progress from being able to move forward. And I think a lot of the structures we have in place right now in companies, in businesses, in organizations are still training wheels for um, it, it's like the structures are built around belief in the worst of humanity. So we need all of these structures to save us from ourselves because we can't trust because a lot of companies believe that we if you work backwards and I I'll, maybe this should be a whole episode about working backwards. In fact, I'm going to write that down. Um, but if you work backwards a lot of times and I've done this in classrooms and you say with the way it's run, what are actually, what do you actually value? You know, with a lot of the ways that we have structures in companies, in organizations, um, what that indicates about their beliefs is, Oh, we don't actually trust each other because we have all of these um, protocols in place to, for accountability um, or, or we don't actually believe in the power of face-to-face -face tough conversations because um, everything has to go through HR or something. It's just, um, it's just kind of a, a way of thinking about where we are now, the structures that we have in place now, in a lot of organizations served us for a while. But I think what's happening now is as a whole, as a culture, as a society, as a species, even we're evolving past these structures and we are feeling constrained and chafed by them. And that is why there's this larger phenomenon of burnout happening is that we're evolving past to the point where we actually need these things and where they, instead of making us feel safe, like training wheels, they're actually holding us back from where we want to go. Okay. Um, that was lit episode 11 manufacturing burnout. I realized that was a little bit rambly and I apologize. Um, a part of what I do with these podcasts is, is kind of part of what you're hearing here is me kind of exploring these ideas in real time with you. So if this specific episode seemed a little disjointed, I apologize. It might've been, um, but I also just appreciate with you coming along for the ride as I work through some of these ideas um, with you. So uh, 
Thank you so much for tuning in this week to Manufacturing Burnout. It was our first um, Manufacturing Burnout, our first episode on systemic the systemic approach to burnout. And um, we'll definitely have more of this coming up. So um, if you have any questions, feel free to email me. My, um, my email address is kate, K-A-T-E, at deeppractices.com. And feel free to visit deeppractices.com next week if you're interested in hearing um, a slightly more structured conversation about burnout and, um, and systems thinking that I had with, um, with Howard Tybell. So thanks for tuning in, and I'll get, I'll get back to you guys next week.